The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Craig Gordon, Bloomberg's Washington Bureau Chief, filling in today for Kevin Cirilli here on Sound On. Kevin missed a busy day at the White House where we are right now waiting for President Donald Trump to share his plan for how to deal with this whole question about a citizenship question on the census. Uh, Bloomberg News and other outlets are reporting he's going to actually back down from that a little bit and uh, and ask Commerce to try to tackle it a different way. We'll get more on that soon. Uh, And we will go live to the White House when the president starts speaking. Joining me in the studio today for the full hour is Nadim Ashalmi, the former chief of staff to Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, now works as the policy director for Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. Uh, Bloomberg News tech lobbying reporter Ben Brody is also here to help us uh, sort through this social media summit that's just also wrapping up at the White House, where the president brought in a lot of his uh, conservative allies to talk about, uh, feel like they're being uh, biased against on social media. Ben can help us straighten that out. We are waiting for President Donald Trump to step to a podium and make some remarks about his plan for trying to figure out who in this country is a citizen and who is not. Uh, We've been we were just hearing from Nancy that he's backed off his original plan to put that question onto the census and he's going to direct commerce probably to come up with some alternative way to do that. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be and hopefully he'll explain it to us. But right now at the White House there's this social media summit and I'm hoping our two guests can help us understand what's going on there. We have Nadine Nichelmi, the former chief of staff to Nancy Pelosi, who now is the policy director for Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber and Shrek and Bloomberg's Ben Brody, our tech lobbying reporter, who I'm hoping can help me and our listeners understand what is the President Donald Trump's beef. I looked up the number before I walked in here. 61.9 million Twitter followers. Donald Trump seems to be doing just fine on social media. So what is his, uh, what's his axe to grind here? <laughs> well, you know, what he says is that he's being uh, silenced, and it's pretty hard uh, to believe, right? He is, he is arguably Twitter's uh, most influential user and uh, among its most prolific. Uh, his Twitter account has essentially become the de facto White House press account. He moves markets. He changes international policy with it. It doesn't seem like he has a lot of uh, (laughs) trouble with that sort of thing. But I think what he's talking about here is this sense, and it is pervasive among Republicans, but it also exists among Democrats, that social companies are politically biased, and they are using that bias in some of their uh, decisions and how they treat uh, our tweets and our Facebook posts. Nadim, uh, you know, this has actually become a sort of an interesting topic, maybe not the topic so much of bias, but the whole question of our social media companies uh, your Facebooks, your Google, some of the bigger uh, web companies, too big um, and have too much power. Um, I know that's something that uh, there's going to be some hearings next week. Uh, Congressman Cicilline is going to be doing doing some of that stuff. But how do you think the Democratic Party is 
doing in this field. It does seem like Donald Trump is able to very effectively reach his voters, literally have an individual, almost an individual conversation with each and every one of them out there through social media. I can't say that I, I, I can think of anybody, maybe Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would be one example, but I can't think of too many Democrats that do it quite as well as Donald Trump. Is your party falling behind in this, uh, in this really important platform? No, I, I think the president is an enigma, right? The president knows how to use social media, and he's a perfect example of a politician who grabbed the technological microphone, if you will, and just completely was able to capture the attention of American citizens, but also all around the world as well. And he just doesn't just move markets, but he's also able to move votes as well. But when it comes to Democrats and what Democrats, what you have seen is you have seen a change in the Democratic Party where in the past they have been accused of being too close to the uh, social media giants, if you will. And now they're taking a step back and saying, look, you are too big. We have a lot of concerns with you, and we want to hold these hearings. And Chairman Cicilline is, is really taking uh, this, this bull by the horn and is moving it forward. I mean, do you think your party does still have a little bit of that stigma? We all remember uh, Barack Obama got his first iPad from Steve Jobs personally uh, before Mr. Jobs passed on. And um, there, you know, was at the famous dinner with Zuckerberg and Jobs yeah. and Gates and the yeah. whole crowd, uh, a kind of meeting of the five families of, uh, of media. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does feel like Democrats have kind of owned that space and a little bit of and certainly the money out of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Right now, as people are starting to feel that so-called tech lash, do Democrats run any risk of looking too cozy with it? I think it's a brave new world right now uh, for the technology companies. Look, uh, in terms of the, what's happening at the White House today, if there is a bias, I think the president missed a, a, an opportunity opportunity here. He should have brought in the tech companies and said, you know, you know what, prove to us that there is no bias. However, he decided to, to go ahead and have a, uh, a summit with his best friends on, on social media, if you will, well, at the same time tweeting just a few moments ago. So it, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit confusing what he wants to accomplish. I think it's, uh, it's in Congress uh, play its role and not pay attention to what's happening currently at the White House, but focus and ensure that, uh, that social media is exactly what it was meant to be, an opportunity for individuals uh, to go out and, and have access to free information without any bias. So, yeah, as you noticed, as you noted, uh, the president did not invite any of the big companies, Twitter, uh, you know, Facebook, any of them. Uh, he sort of tried to correct that error a little bit. I guess he's telling he's he did say at the summit that he's planning to invite them to come to the White House in a week or two or three or whatever to to kind of rectify that. Ben, what what can the president, even the president of the United States only has so much power over these companies. What legitimately do you think he could have to do? Uh, if he does truly believe he and his uh, supporters are being uh, biased against? Well, you know, he can ask them to do whatever he wants. President, it's not as if he <laughs> always respects the boundary between uh, the legislative and the executive. But I think what's more important here is that he can keep up the public pressure. As I said, he has, in this case, an animated base that believes that this is going on and is, is calling for a solution on it. Uh, you have a Congress that's debating a number of different solutions, and none of them have really gained traction in some of them have been dismissed as uh, either wacky or ineffective or unconstitutional. Uh, but, you know, he has that bully pulpit. And as you move further and further along, as you keep the pressure up and you get an increasing convergence on what the policy solution could be, you can actually move, uh, as you say, you can move these votes, you can move these bills, and, and, and you can actually get something started. And so, you know, does it become antitrust? Does it become privacy? Does it become this stuff on controversial content, these, these liability protections that platforms 
towns have. They are terrified that those could go away. They don't think they're going away yet. But I am interested to see if Trump can keep the pressure on. Does that equation start to change? Explain the liability protections. I'm not sure a lot of our listeners or this host knows what those are. Uh, th- th- that's a great question. So uh, if you're Facebook or Twitter, and, and I am posting on Facebook or Twitter, uh, the liability for what I post attaches to me, not to the companies. And so companies absolutely prize this protection because they it basically protects this business model, right? The business model is have all these people post stuff and interact with it, and it protects that business model. Um, that has been U.S. policy for 20 years. It has... Uh, analogs in a lot of places around the world. But, you know, content is controversial, whether it's drugs or sex trafficking or election interference, misinformation, abuse. I mean, it just the list goes on and on and on. And uh, lawmakers, uh, up to your former boss, uh, do not necessarily think that this is maybe the way that we want to be going in the future. Uh, We're going to take a break there and leave it there. It's a fascinating conversation about all of these platforms and products that we all use and and really have come to love and uh, maybe a little bit less these days. But, um, you know, it's still something that I think Congress is uh, perhaps not particularly well equipped to deal with. We'll about that later. But right now we're going to take a little break. I'm Craig Gordon. This is Sound On on Bloomberg. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. This is Craig Gordon. You're with us here on Sound On on Bloomberg 99.1. We are waiting for President Donald Trump to make him talk to us about his plan for getting information about who in this country is a citizen. Who is not? Uh, people may recall he was planning to put that question right on the on the census. Supreme Court in the person of uh, Chief Justice John Roberts didn't much like that idea, and so Trump has had to regroup uh, and now is talking about some other way to gather that information. So as soon as uh, we see the president, we'll go we'll go live there. But right now we're uh, still in studio here with Nadim Ashami, former Chief of Staff to Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who now works as the Policy Director for Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Trek, and our tech lobbying reporter here in uh, Bloomberg's Washington Bureau, Ben Brody. Um, President, a busy day for him. Uh, in addition to figuring out the census question, he's also held a social media summit where he brought none of the social media companies, but he did bring a lot of conservative social media hosts and uh, and, and people like that to, to talk about their complaints of being biased against. This has become a pretty hot topic in Washington, uh, as we talked about. I mean, a lot of people, you know, we all use these products, Twitter, Facebook, whatnot, um, but people started to see a little bit of a dark side there. Uh, how much of my information do they have and how much do they know about me every time I, uh, I go on? And I do feel like there's a, a little bit of what's become known as the tech lash. Democrat Republicans in uh, in the Trump administration are, are looking at it. Democrats in Congress are looking at it as well. There's some hearings next week. What I'm curious to hear from Nadim is: is there any is there any danger? Look, I'm a journalist, so I'm a First Amendment guy. I, I tend to take the view that you let a thousand flowers bloom, um, and people are you know can sort of sort out the, the different information. Yeah. Is there any danger for the Democrats? of looking like they're trying to stifle innovation in social media. They are doing a little bit of a big brother nanny state thing where they're trying to tell us what apps we can use, how we can use them, when we can use them. Uh, you know, it's your party does get tagged with that sometimes. I wonder if this is another moment where that could happen. No, I, I don't believe so because I think the opportunity lies here in, 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 in between Republicans and Democrats, right? If you're a Republican or a Democrat, you want to know exactly what the tech companies and what the social uh, companies are actually doing with your data, Right. All your private information that they gather throughout, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or you name it, what are they doing with this? 
who is who has access to that information. I think this is the sweet spot where they could actually find common ground and get something done. Look, the House is working on some privacy and security legislation right now as we speak. They're hoping to get to that bipart that elusive bipartisan compromise. It's a big piece of legislation that is complicated, that's going to require uh, immense, immense work. Uh, they are having those discussions. But if they don't succeed, I believe the House will pass something, send it over to the Senate, and have those discussions. But, uh, but in, in terms of something big getting done this, this cycle, um, I believe that this is going to be one of them. No, really. And w- do you have any sense of what that might look like? I mean, what is a legislative fix to this look like? Well, I, mean, I think if you, you start taking a look at the California um, uh, example, right, I think you start with that. California is, is always, and I've heard it from folks I used to work with, let's just say that, um, you know, sets a, is ahead by about 10 years. Uh, whether it's, it's with uh, energy issues or whether it's dealing with privacy issues. Uh, and in California, what they did in, in, in terms of, uh, of their uh, privacy legislation, the data security legislation, is, is, is somewhat similar to Europe. What Congress is struggling with now is how can you have one standard f- across the country that's going to pass the House and a Republican Senate will be as strong as the California law. That is what they're struggling with at this moment. And, and if I could, you know, put a damper on this parade a little bit, I think <laughs> I, I think that that is exactly the tension yeah. that is making me less sure maybe that this, this can go through. Yeah. If I wanted to design a, a theoretical piece of legislation that would have to just kind of run a gauntlet between all kinds of stakeholders who tend to really resist yeah. changes to the status quo, privacy might be exactly where I'd do it because – Data is embedded in all, in every aspect of the economy. It's not just about Google and Facebook. And so you have a situation here, as you said, a Democratic, a Democratic House or Republican Senate or Republican President. But it's not just that. You have, uh, you know, these uh, versus the Congress. And then you have the various industries against one another. You have form companies. You have the hardware companies. You have the retailers. You have the insurance companies. You have existing health privacy yeah, legislation. You know, financial industry. You have, well. you have banking it's, privacy. It's, it's the, it's the preemptive. Issue. That's where it comes exactly. down to it. Right. I mean, the question I have here is, as a consumer and a user of these products is, like, are people really surprised that Facebook knows a lot about them? Um, are they really bothered by that? One time I did happen to look up a certain brand of Scotch whiskey on the Internet, you know, for a friend, just for a friend. As one does. <laughs> and ever since then, that particular brand, an ad for that Thank brand, you, has, follow, has followed me around. <laughs> you should be so lucky. But, uh, has followed me around. And, I, you know, you sort of see and you, you laugh a little bit like, geez, really? It's obvious. But um, I, I don't I don't feel like I've been like offended by that or necessarily. I, I guess I, yeah. I kind of come to it as a, with a feeling that a lot of people just accept that, yes, I've already told them my birth date and my social security number and whatever, God knows whatever else, and it's sort of too late now. But am I wrong about that, Nadim? Are voters and people actually starting to feel like, whoa, this is getting intrusive? Well, let me just say this, all right? And uh, this is um, someone I, I live with. Um, who often, you know, we talk and we say, well, you know, we need to buy this thing. And, and, and you know, talks to uh, Alexa, and uh, we get it. And somehow on my phone, as I'm browsing a uh, certain browser, it's ads for something very similar. So how is this information being transferred all across? And, like, and those, those questions, yeah, we do laugh about it, but how does it happen? Who is making those decisions? How, what, what kind of algorithms? You know, what, what kind of... 
across platforms, um, associations are there? There's a lot of questions to be had. And look, I'm one of the first people to say that Congress' um, ability to tackle these complicated issues is difficult at best. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some very smart uh, uh, staffers and, of course, members on the Hill. How do you, you know, look, it's personal to them as well, so they're trying to find a solution. But it's, this is just going to be first step. We're going to come back to it over and over and over again. But you have to get through that first hurt, over that first hurdle and pass that law first. So, Ben, how are the companies feeling about this? Uh, if, if I were one of these folks, and again, we, we answer some hearings next week, where some of the big, the big companies, Facebook, Google, Amazon, are all going to be up on the hill, uh, both with Democrats, with Chairman Cicilline, as we've talked about here. Ted Cruz is having a, a hearing that's probably similar to the social media summit, the Republican from Texas criticizing sort of the bias. But the companies are, you know, the spotlight has definitely landed on them. Um, I, I think it's fair to say when the spotlight landed on them during the Mueller investigation, perhaps they didn't handle it as well. I think there was a feeling among a lot of members in, in Congress that they were a little bit arrogant. They didn't really get how serious these questions were, and they maybe didn't, they really didn't take it as seriously as they should have. Have, have, have the companies gotten religion and figured out how to deal with these inquiries, and what are they thinking? I, I think if you, if you ask the members that question, and they will say that the, the, the companies aren't significantly less arrogant now. And they often, they'll tell us, quite frankly, you know, we had this or that executive in and we didn't, we didn't like their answers. They couldn't or they wouldn't answer how they're using that data, how those, how those uh, ads are coming up or whether those ads are being used for anything else. You know, if your insurance rates are going to change because you were looking uh, for that scotch whiskey. So I, I think that basic level of dealing member to member, it hasn't necessarily gotten better. What I will say is having watched these hearings over the last year and a half, I would say they're testifying much more regularly. They're answering these questions in a way that is a little bit more savvy and a little bit more satisfying, I think, at the end of the day. And they're used to the rhythm of it. They're used to the media scrutiny that comes along with it. So I do think they they actually have improved a little bit on it, but I'm not sure that it's up to the level that the members are really happy with what's going on. It's a fascinating topic, and we could talk about it all day. We are still waiting for Donald Trump to step into the Rose Garden. It was a rainy Rose Garden just a short time ago seems like the clouds have lifted a little bit uh but so that will be coming up here he'll be talking about his plan uh to deal with citizenship questions on the census um but uh for now please download the sound on podcast on itunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the bloomberg business app you can also find us on radio.com iHeartRadio, and spotify i'm craig gordon you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. 
I'm Craig Gordon, Bloomberg's Washington Bureau Chief, filling in for Kevin Cirilli today here on Sound On. With me in studio is Nadim Ashalmi, who was the Chief of Staff to uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and currently works as the Policy Director for Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. Uh, we've been talking tech. We're about to start talking census. We're still waiting for the President of the United States to step to the podium in the Rose Garden and to tell us his plan for how he's going to uh, deal with this whole idea of a citizenship question, uh, figuring out who in the United States is a citizen, who is not. Uh, he was sort of rebuffed by the court to put that question right onto the census form for 2020, and now he's going to direct the Congress to come up with a new way to get that information. We've pretty much Bloomberg News and other outlets have been reporting that for a few hours now. We're going to hear the words out of the President's mouth any minute. We'll go live to him when we see him. But Nadim, you know, this is an issue that uh, I, I always say to people, Donald Trump is in the White House really mostly because of one issue, and that issue is immigration. Yep. Here we are two and a half years into his presidency, and we're still talking about immigration, you know, uh, citizenship, some of those questions. Why is this such a potent issue for him? And how about to explain what you think about this specific topic, which seems a little a little off the beaten path, you know, a question on the, the census, who's in, who's out. How is this playing for Donald Trump? I think politically it's playing exactly how to play. It motivates his base. Uh, it continues to have the media talk about uh, census and immigration. And look, this is a, a – every 10 years the United States is required to, to go and count every individual – in the United States of America. That is in our Constitution. It doesn't ask if you're a citizen or not. However, putting that question in scares off those who may be here legally, who may be here uh, illegally, and the impact it has on how federal funds are spent in those districts that need it most, right? But for him, for the president, whether it's, it's going to be part of the census or not, it's going to continue to be a topic of discussion. He's going to make it so. Depending on what he announces, what are the next steps on this issue? It's going to be – it's going to continue to sow fear and confusion in many of those people who would be scared to actually open the door and answer uh, a, a, a questions from one of the uh, census takers. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the reason why I think this issue is so potent, this is actually a, a really good case study of it. I think there's a lot of Americans out there who might say, well, I don't know, it sounds sort of reasonable to me. We're a country, 320-some million people. We just know just because we should know that person's a citizen, that person's not, you know, keep it, keep an accurate count, count noses and figure out who's who, what, what could possibly be wrong with that? And that's why I think the issue is very potent for Trump because even people that perhaps don't have particularly negative feelings about illegal immigrants might say, I don't know, shouldn't we just ask the question to get the answer? What's the problem with it um, politically and in a policy way? Well, in a policy and political way, actually, it's just, for him, it's exactly what he wants, right? But on a policy level, right, you want to be able to count every single individual in our country in order to get, you know, the, the right amount of, of Oh, it sounds like we are finally going to hear from the president. I'm sorry we had to cut off our guest, Nadim Ashalmi, former uh, chief of staff to Nancy Pelosi. Here is Donald Trump. The United States. Now they're trying to erase the very existence of a very important word and a very important thing, citizenship. They're even coming after the Pledge of Allegiance in Minnesota. I'm proud to be a citizen. You're proud to be a citizen. 
The only people who are not proud to be citizens are the ones who are fighting us all the way about the word citizen. Today, I'm here to say we are not backing down on our effort to determine the citizenship status of the United States population. I stand before you to outline new steps my administration is taking to ensure that citizenship is counted so that we know how many citizens we have in the United States. Makes sense? We will defend the right of the American people to know the full facts about the population, size of citizens, and non-citizens in America. It is essential that we have a clear breakdown of the number of citizens and non-citizens that make up the U.S. populations. Imperative. Knowing this information is vital to formulate sound public policy, whether the issue is health care, education, civil rights, or immigration. We must have a reliable count of how many citizens, non-citizens, and illegal aliens are in our country. The Department of Commerce sensibly decided to include a citizenship question in the 2020 census, as has been done many, many times throughout the history of the United States. Unfortunately, this effort was delayed by meritless litigation. As shocking as it may be, far left in our country are determined to conceal the number of illegal aliens in our midst. They probably know the number is far greater, much higher than anyone would have ever believed before. Maybe that's why they fight so hard. This is part of a broader left-wing effort to erode the rights of the American citizen and is very unfair to our country. The Supreme Court ultimately affirmed our right to ask the citizenship question, and very strongly it was affirmed. But the Supreme Court also ruled that we must provide further explanation that would produce even more litigation and considerable time delays. The case is already in three federal district courts that have been, to be totally honest, extremely unfriendly to us. These delays would have prevented us from completing the census on time. It's deeply regrettable, but it will not stop us from collecting the needed information, and I think even in greater detail and more accurately. Therefore, we are pursuing a new mature, complete and timely count of the non-citizen population. Today, I will be issuing an executive order to put this very plan into effect immediately. I am hereby ordering every department and agency in the federal government to provide the Department of Commerce with all requested records regarding the number of citizens and non-citizens in our country. They must furnish all legally accessible records in their possession immediately. We will utilize these vast federal databases to gain a full, complete, and accurate count of the non-citizen population, including databases maintained by the Department of Homeland Security and the Social Security Administration. We have great knowledge in many of our agencies. We will leave no stone turned. The Census Bureau projected that using previously available records, it could determine citizenship for 90 percent of our population or more. With today's executive order, which eliminates longstanding obstacles to data sharing, we're aiming to count everyone. 
Ultimately, this will allow us to have an even more complete count of citizens than through asking the single question alone. It will be, we think, far more accurate. The Census Bureau can use this information, along with information collected through the questionnaire, to create the official census. In other words, as a result of today's executive order, we will be able to ensure the 2020 Census generates an accurate count of how many citizens, non-citizens, and illegal aliens are in the United States of America. Not too much to ask. This will greatly inform a wide array of public policy decisions. This information is also relevant to administering our elections. Some states may want to draw state and local legislative districts based upon the voter-eligible population. Indeed, the same day the Supreme Court handed down the census decision, it also said it would not review certain types of districting decisions, which could encourage states to make such decisions based on voter eligibility. With today's order, we will collect all of the information we need to conduct an accurate census and to make responsible decisions about public policy, voting rights, and representation in Congress. In everything we do, we will faithfully represent the people of the United States of America. I would like now to introduce Attorney General Bill Barr to the podium. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Good evening, Mr. President, and congratulations on today's executive order, which will ensure that we finally have an accurate understanding of how many citizens and non-citizens live in our country. As the Supreme Court recognized, it would be perfectly lawful for the federal government to ask on the census whether individuals are citizens of the United States. And it's entirely reasonable to want to know how many citizens and non-citizens there are in the United States. In fact, the federal government has routinely asked questions relating to citizenship ever since the 1820s. But while the Supreme Court correctly recognized that it would be entirely appropriate to include citizenship questions on the census, it nevertheless held that the Commerce Department did not adequately explain its decisions for doing so on the 2020 census. Because, as the Supreme Court recognized, the defect in the Commerce Department's decision was curable with a better record, the President asked me to work with Secretary Ross to determine whether there remained a viable path for including a citizenship question on the census. I did so. In my view, the government has ample justification to inquire about citizenship status on the census and could plainly provide rationales for doing so that would satisfy the Supreme Court. And there, therefore, no question that a new decision had the question would ultimately survive legal review. The problem is that any new decision would be subject to immediate challenge as a new claim in the three ongoing district court cases. In addition, there are injunctions currently in place that forbid adding the question. There is simply no way to litigate these issues and obtain relief from the current time to implement any new decision without jeopardizing our ability to carry out the census. 
which we're not going to do. We're not going to jeopardize our ability to carry this. So as a practical matter, the Supreme Court's decision closed all paths to adding the question to the 2020 census. Put simply, the impediment was not what was a logistical impediment, not a legal one. We simply cannot complete the litigation in time to carry out the census. One other point on this. Someone suggesting in the hysterical mode of the day that the administration has been planning to add the citizenship question to the census by executive fiat without regard to contrary court orders or what the Supreme Court might say. This has been based on rank speculation and nothing more. As should be obvious, there has never been under, this has never been under consideration. We have always accepted that any new decision to add a citizenship question to the census would be subject to judicial review. Turning to today, I applaud the President for recognizing in his executive order that including a question on the census is not the only way to obtain this vital information. The course the President has chosen today will bring unprecedented resources to, be to bear on determining how many citizens and non-citizens are in our country and will yield the best data the government has had on citizenship in many decades. That information will be used for countless purposes, as the President explained in his remarks today. For example, there is a current dispute over whether illegal aliens can be included for apportionment purposes. Depending on the resolution of that data may be relevant to those considerations. We will be studying this issue. Congratulations again, Mr. President, on taking this effective action. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. So that was Donald Trump, uh, the President of the United States, and his Attorney General, William Barr, telling us how they are going to move forward with this attempt to get information on who in the United States and who is not. Um, what they laid out there was a plan to essentially go to the existing databases that exist all around the federal government, uh, including in the Department of Homeland Security and Social Security, to try to piece together a picture of, uh, of, of who's here legally, who's here not. Um, and uh, also made clear that they were really only doing this not because they felt like they didn't have a strong uh, case for the courts, but because they didn't have time to go back to the courts and sort of work its way through the courts and still get the census launched on time to be done, you know, next year and printing the forms and such. You can imagine that's an enormous undertaking. So uh, Donald Trump would have us believe that this is the, this is just as good, if not better, than putting a question on the census forms. Um, I, I think a fair question that could be asked right now is uh, if, you know, if people here illegally, are they, do they exist in these databases? Is, is there information about them in Social Security or in DHS? Uh, smarter people than me will answer that question down the road. He claims uh, Census Bureau told him he could get 90 percent, uh, you know, sort of accuracy rate 
the old way and, and could get us you know, much higher than that with these new documents and digging into the new databases. The order today seems to knock down some um, legal obstacles or bureaucratic obstacles to that sort of information sharing um, inside the federal government. So we have with us today Nadima Shalmi, the former uh, speaker, uh, former chief of staff to Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, who is very familiar with this issue. Um, I'm just you're sitting here. So let's get some instant reactions. Can he get the information that he wants in the way he says he does? And then um, let's talk politics about it, too. Yeah, uh, thank you. Look, without seeing the executive order, I'm, I'm not really sure uh, exactly what that would entail. But, you know, an executive order to the agency saying provide, you know, the Department of Commerce with all the information that you have on citizens, uh, legal permanent residents and non-citizens is, is certainly something that uh, generally would be within the preview of, of, of the president. However, can this information be used to supplement uh, the census? That's another question, and, and I have a feeling this will be discussed uh, further by much smarter folks than than me, uh, and perhaps even go go to the core. But what's because this has been a, you know, and, and kind of gleaned over is the contrived reason by the president and by Attorney General Barr of why this um, question was not allowed. There's there's a lot more to it than it was a technical issue. There's a there's a next week the House is going to be voting on um, uh, on uh, uh, contempt of Congress on Secretary uh, Attorney General Barr and Secretary of Commerce Ross. And the reason is they want to know there has there been an obstruction of justice when it comes to the census question. And we've heard this before is who knew what when and right now it seems that this politically motivated exercise it hasn't been done since 1950 mm-hmm. but going into this administration there's been some speculation and now some evidence that it was actually done from uh, from the White House that the secretary actually information when he testified under oath before uh, the House of Representatives and so on so and that's why you also have some court battles so th- there is some uh, some questions that remain beyond and this is not a uh, uh, this is not a big issue actually this is going to be much better they have some issues that they're going to have to be dealing with yeah, every day of Donald Trump's presidency, I think, is a little bit a little schoolhouse rock episode that we do have three branches of government, and, and the president seems to occasionally forget that. But you know, he's the executive; he controls all of those agencies we're talking about: he, the Census and Commerce, uh, the Social Security Department, the Department of Homeland Security. No one would question his authority to run the country. Um, the Supreme Court, one of the other branches, did step up. It's worth remembering that the decision came down was essentially written by Chief Justice John Roberts, obviously a Republican. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, pretty pretty solid conservative guy who who kind of said, uh, "Hey, come on, you got to do better than that. <laughs> you know, you got to give me a better explanation than right. than the one you've given me." And and uh, obviously, Congress is getting involved. And again, we're here with Nadine Shalmi, former chief of staff to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, um, who can talk about. Frankly, Congress feels like maybe they didn't get, or at least the Democrats in Congress feel like maybe they didn't really get the straight story uh, from Wilbur Ross and uh, when he came up to testify uh, about this, and that lead to potentially some uh, some tough days for for Wilbur Ross up there in Congress. Let's talk a little bit about the politics too. Uh, the Donald Trump very defiant here. We are not backing down was one of the quotes. Um, he he accused the quote far left of of you know the in American politics of quote, trying to erode the rights of the American citizen by uh, denying him the ability to have a full and accurate count of who's a citizen and who's not. As we talked about a little bit before we heard from the president, 
I do think there's a certain number of Americans out there of, of any political stripe. They, oh, come on. I mean, what, why is this so, why is this such a bad thing to, to get a count? Trump definitely leaned into that idea and, and really posed it as very much an us versus them. That if he doesn't, if he isn't able to get an accurate count of who is this and that the citizens who actually are the taxpaying, you know, law abiding people are the ones that get hurt by that. Again, put on your political hat for us, Nadim. You know, that is a, that's a pretty compelling argument. The president of the United States just said it at a podium. How do, how do Democrats sort of counter that? Yeah, look, it's, it's us versus them. It's something that the president has run on from day one and will continue to run on um, until the uh, upcoming presidential election. So there's no surprise here. And he blamed everyone, including the Supreme Court, but he didn't blame his administration for not coming out and telling the truth about wanted this particular question on the census um, uh, as part of the census every 10 years. Look, the, the, the issue here is that the census counts every individual in the United States for America for the purposes of providing uh, federal funding to certain districts. So if you don't have an accurate count, let me make this very clear. American citizens who live in districts that may have a high population of legal permanent residents or undocumented immigrants will get hurt. So everyone gets hurt if you don't have a full and accurate every individual in the United States. Um, we only have a couple of minutes left here, so let's keep talking politics on this. It's interesting to me, you know, Donald Trump, as we said a minute ago, got into the White House on the question of immigration. He's trying, like the Dickens, to get back to the White House on the issue of immigration. I, I will I will say, Nadine, with all due respect, I'm not sure your party has figured out how to talk about immigration in a way that counters Trump or does it better than Trump. They mostly just say they would do it differently. Um, how potent of an issue is this going to be going into 2020? What would your advice be to the top Democrats with the about how to how to counter the president on this do exactly what you did in 2018 because in 2018 house democrats beat republicans who who stood with the president on the immigration issue and against the affordable care and do the same exact thing that you did in 2018 be honest with the american people and you will win in 2020 there you go. That is Nadim Ashalmi, who is the former chief of staff to Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, currently working as the policy director for Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, and Shrek. Very generous with his time. Spent the whole hour with us in the studio. We appreciate that greatly. Download the Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Craig Gordon. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.